Chapter 11 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1, by Knut Gershet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11. The Vikings in England. After their first visits to the coast of England, an interval of some forty years passed, during which the Vikings made no further attempts to gain a foothold there. They pressed with vigor their conquests in Ireland and France, and England was given a respite, during which ample preparation might have been made to meet the coming storm. But internal strife between petty kingdoms, and ceaseless feuds among princes and other men of quality, gradually wore down the strength of the Anglo-Saxons, and left them weak and disorganized. One thing had been achieved, however, in these forty years, which became of far-reaching importance in the coming struggle. King Egbert of Wessex succeeded in uniting all the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms in 827, and could now rule as King of the English. But of more immediate importance than this weak union, and Egbert's precarious supremacy, was the fact that the kingdom of Wessex now became the center of English national life and development, and that a dynasty of kings of superior ability ascended the throne, and made this small kingdom a tower of strength which ultimately broke the force of the coming invasion. In 834, the Vikings began their attack on England in earnest by ravaging the island of Sheppey at the mouth of the Thames. In 836, they returned to the coast of Wessex with 35 ships, and near Charmouth in Dorsetshire, where King Egbert resided, a bloody battle was fought in which the Vikings were victorious. It is noteworthy that this attack occurred almost simultaneously with the plundering of Dorstadt, and the expeditions against the Frankish kingdom. It can scarcely be doubted that it was the same armed host which operated on both sides of the English Channel, and that the Vikings who now appeared in England were Danes. In 838 a great fleet came to the land of the West Welsh, made an alliance with them, and attacked Wessex. King Egbert marched against the Allies, and defeated them with great slaughter at Hengestistun, near Plymouth, but this was his last exploit. He died the following year, and was succeeded by his son Ethelwulf, a pious and conscientious but weak man, who was unable to cope successfully with the invaders. After Egbert's death, the Vikings began more extensive operations in England. In 840 they made two successful raids on the coast of Wessex, and in the year following they entered the Wash, defeated and slew the elder man of Lindesey, and plundered his land. They then turned south to ravage the coasts of East Anglia and Kent. London and Rochester were attacked in 842 by a large fleet, and the following summer King Ethelwulf was defeated in the Second Battle of Charmouth in Wessex. Northumbria, too, was attacked in 844, and King Redwulf was slain by the invaders. Norwegian Vikings, too, seem to have taken part in these raids on the English coasts, but as a rule no distinction between Norwegians and Danes is made in the early English annals, and it is left for us to draw what conclusions we may from the general direction of the attacks. In 846 a Viking band attempted to land on the coast of Somersetshire, but they were defeated by Bishop Eilstan and two elder men at the mouth of the Parrot. The locality of the fight makes it probable that this band, at least, were Norsemen from the coast of Ireland. The Three Fragments of Irish Annals states that in the year 851 the Norsemen attacked Devonshire, while the Danes harried Kent and Surrey. This agrees in the main with the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which records for the same year the fact that the elder men Cyril fought with heathen men in Devonshire, near Wiechenborg, killed many of them, and gained the victory. These raids on the coast seem to have been mere skirmishes, preliminary to the more general advance which began in 851, when a fleet of 350 ships entered the Thames River. A force was landed, which captured Canterbury, while the fleet proceeded to London, which was stormed and plundered. The invading host began to spread over the inland districts, but King Ethelwulf and his son Ethelbald 
arrived with the whole military force of Wessex, and defeated the Vikings in the bloody Battle of Aclea. This produced a brief lull in the invasion, but a new host appeared in 854, and taking up quarters on Sheppey Island in the Thames, they were now able for the first time to spend the winter in England. Every summer the attacks were renewed, until in 866 the great Viking army led by Ivar Boneless and Ube Urhuba, the sons of Ragnar Ludbrok, arrived and began a conquest which placed the greater part of England under Viking dominion before another decade had passed. This time the attack was directed against Northumbria, which was more torn by internal troubles than any other part of England. Wars between rival candidates for the throne had been waged there constantly for many years, and were still in progress when the Vikings arrived. They mixed merrily in the fight, and made themselves masters of the important city of York, a calamity so great that it even brought the two fighting rivals, Osbjart and Eala, to their senses. They patched up their differences, united their forces, and made an assault upon York in an attempt to recapture the city. But they were both killed, their army was cut to pieces, and Northumbria submitted to the conquerors, 867. In 868, the Viking chieftains advanced with their army to Nottingham, and wintered in Mercia. In 870, they entered East Anglia. King Edmund met them in the Battle of Hoxney, but lost both his army and his life. The story is told that he was captured, and being unwilling to pay tribute and to submit to Ivar Boneless, he was tied to a tree and shot to death with arrows. This may be true, since he was worshipped as a saint not long after his death. The Danes at York invited the Norwegian kings Ivar and Olav of Dublin to join in the conquest of England. They accepted the invitation, harried northern England, and captured Dumbarton on the Clyde, but they soon had to return to Dublin to defend their own dominions against the Irish. In 870, a large army came from Denmark to join the conquest. It was led by Halvdan, Hafting, Hubba, Ube, Guthrum, Guthorm or Gorm, and many other kings and jarls. The next year they advanced through Mercia to attack Wessex, and pitched their camp at Reading, which they took care to fortify. A fierce campaign was now fought. The men of Wessex, led by King Ethelred and his younger brother Alfred, advanced to attack them, and a series of sharp engagements were fought which forced the Danes to retire to their fortified camp at Reading. An attempt to take the camp by assault proved unsuccessful, and the English were driven back with great slaughter. The Danes now emerged from their camp, but were again met by Ethelred and Alfred on the hills of Asexdun, Ashdown, where they were defeated, after a desperate battle in which the young Alfred especially distinguished himself. The Danes lost one of their kings, Begskig, five jarls and many thousand men. The remaining king, Halfdan, shut himself up in the camp at Reading with the remnant of his army to await reinforcements. In two weeks he was again able to take the field, fighting a successful engagement at Basing, and the Battle of Bedouin soon followed, in which the Danes were again victorious. King Æthelred died shortly after from wounds received in the battle, as it seems, and Alfred the Great succeeded to the throne of Wessex. As he had but a small army and no navy, he was forced to buy peace from the victorious Vikings. They received a tribute and withdrew from Wessex, and the kingdom was left unmolested for about four years. During this time, Alfred began to reorganize a navy, which in future contests was to develop strength and efficiency in the hard school of sharp naval warfare with the powerful Viking admirals, who regarded the sea as their own undisputed domain. The Viking army, after leaving London and subjugating Mercia, was divided into two parts, one under King Halfdan and the other under Guthrum, Oskitil, and Almond. Halfdan raided Bernicia, Strathclyde, and parts of Scotland, and settled permanently at York in 875. The other part of the army camped in Mercia. All England was now in the hands of the invaders, save the kingdom of Wessex, south of the Thames. During the eighty or ninety years which had passed since the first Viking bands visited the shores of England, 
great changes had taken place both in the extent and character of their operations in foreign countries. The early piratic attacks changed in time into well-planned expeditions, undertaken by large fleets and armies bent on permanent conquest. Wars were waged which were often attended by wanton destruction of life and property, but the Vikings now fought for the purpose of gaining full dominion over territory in which they wished to live and rule. They were no longer a mere destructive force. The conquest once accomplished, they settled down to till the soil, to build cities, and to develop the country. In the various pursuits of peace, they often showed an energy, a practical insight, and a talent for organization not exhibited by the native inhabitants. In many fields, they exerted a stimulating influence which made future progress possible. During the winter, which King Halfdan spent in London after retiring from Wessex, he minted coins bearing sometimes his own name, sometimes that of the city. The designs were later used on English coins struck by Alfred the Great and by Seolwulf, King of Mercia. In 875, Halfdan took up his permanent abode in York. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle states that he portioned out the lands of Northumbria and that his followers henceforth continued to plow and to till them. Every Dane received his allotment of land, while the original inhabitants continued to exist as a dependent class. According to Viking custom, York was strongly fortified, and became again the great city which it had been in the days of Roman dominion in Britain. This custom of walling in the cities and of building fortified strongholds, which was so important, both in warfare and for the development of cities, was first introduced into England by the Vikings. The coining of money was also carried on here, and the crude copper coins heretofore used were soon replaced by coins of silver. Dyra, the southern part of Northumbria, was organized into the Danish kingdom of York, while Bernicia, the northern part, was tributary to the kings of York, but formed no integral part of their kingdom. End of chapter 11